Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Fade. Tuesday, December 19th, 2017. Now, this will be the last episode of the year 2017. My apologies for having to do that early. You think you, I, you get the idea. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Tuesday, December 19th, 2017. This will be the final episode of 2017 of Fighting for the Faith. Yeah, getting ready for that new year. It's going to be crazy go nuts. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. <clears throat> yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate the steady diet of doctrine, far from what God's Word says, like not even close. And uh, we're trying to warn you because here's the thing. God's Word says this matters. It's not It's not that I'm uppity, uh, you know, although I might be uppity, you know, <laughs> but that's not the issue here. <laughs> it's like God's Word actually tells you to not listen to people who make God's word void, who twist it to their own destruction, who teach for shameful gain things they ought not to teach, stuff like that. So uh, the idea here is we're trying to warn you and uh, and to equip you, to protect you, because evangelicalism has become a really, really dangerous place nowadays. I mean, really, truly, that's the case. All right, so like I said at the beginning of the uh, program, today is the final episode for the year 2017. Yeah, I know it's it's a little bit early. You're hoping to get maybe three more episodes out of me. My apologies. It's like physically impossible for me to do so. Uh, 
<laughs> that's just all I can say at this point. Keep your eye out on the new year. We got stuff coming down the pike that we've never done before or we've attempted and uh, kind of shown that it could work. But, uh, you know, uh, the the thing is, is that we needed to hire some people. So, yeah, that's what we did. We We hired some people. And uh, and now that we've got some hired people to help us out with this other stuff, we want to expand and help get the warning word out. So uh, <clears throat> if you haven't already joined our crew, this would be a good time to do so. <laughs> this is the riskiest thing I've done in like forever. But anyway, <clears throat> let's talk about what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. We're going to listen to three messages today, so it'll be a little bit of a longer program. The first one is titled The Great Reversal. It's on the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, 39 through 56. We'll take a break when that is finished, and then the uh, we will be listening to a, a sermon titled God Has Visited His People, and that's on Luke chapter 1, 57 through 80. We'll take a break after that, and then uh, we will listen to last year's uh, Christmas sermon that I delivered on December 25th, for unto you a child is born. Unto you a child, a child is born. Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. That will be today's a uh, final episode for 2017, and uh, and so let's get to it. The uh, the first sermon that we will be listening to again is titled "The Great Reversal," Gospel of Luke, chapter one, thirty nine through fifty six. Here we go. Our reading tonight is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, verses thirty nine through fifty six, which reads: In those days, Mary arose, went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy." And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. In the name of Jesus, Satan is a usurper. You have to think of him that way. And his children are just like their father. Here's the thorny part. We're all born dead in trespasses and sins. And we were born under the dominion of the devil. And, well, we were like the devil. This is why Jesus says you are of your father, the devil. He's a liar in a begin, you know, from the beginning. So here's our problem. Like the devil, we're always exalting ourselves. 
always exalting ourselves against others, against God. You think about what goes on in the corporate world. What goes on in the corporate world, they talk about those people who are climbing the corporate ladder. Well, climbing the corporate ladder looks a lot like taking a bunch of human beings, destroying their reputations, and then stacking them up like you know, piles of bodies, and then climbing the ladder to the top. That's how it looks. So in our text tonight, we will be running into, in fact, we've already begun to run into, one of the major themes of Scripture, and that is the humbling of the self-exalted and the exalting of the humble. And so with that, we return to our gospel text in which we hear these words. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. First part of our text. And so you'll notice how this is all working out. Jesus, even though he is in utero, Jesus, who is, well, at the age where if he were uh, around today, he'd likely be a... He could potentially be aborted. So there he is, a fetus. And he's already at work. He's already quite at work. At work, well, going to visit his cousin, John, who happens to be the, his forerunner, and making sure that he is ready for the task at hand. And he prepares him for the task at hand while he is also still in his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit, John points to Jesus, jumps for joy, and there's so much Holy Spirit left over, his mother gets some too. And she's so filled with the Spirit, she begins to prophesy. And you'll note here that theologians are all agreed that one is not filled with the Holy Spirit unless one is a believer. Hmm, what does that do with John the Baptist? He's a believer, even from his mother's womb. Filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. I would beg to differ with those who would say that a fetus is not a human being. Something going on here. Quite fascinating. And you'll note that they are blessed by Jesus. Blessed to be in his presence and blessed to be in the presence of the one who believed the words that the Lord spoke to her. And so from here, this wonderful text takes us into a section of Scripture that is referred to throughout church history as Mary's Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. It's a wonderful, beautiful section of Scripture. But we would be remiss if we did not read it in light of its cross-reference. And its cross-reference is kind of a funny funny place in Scripture, if you think about it. Now, have you all seen the movie The Princess Bride? Great movie. If you haven't seen it in a while, it's worthy of Christmas type of stuff, even though there's nothing Christmassy about it. Now, you remember that crazy guy, Vizzini, who would say, inconceivable? Remember that? And there's this duel to the death that he has, a battle of wits with Wesley. 
And he thought he fooled Wesley. And his line at this point goes, ha, you fool, you fell victim to one of the classic blunders, the most famous of which is never get involved in a land war in Asia. But the only slightly less well-known is this, never go in against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And those happened to be his last words. At that point, he died. There's an even better known blunder in human history. And this blunder is exalting yourself against and over the one true God. Now, I want you to think about this. We all do this in all kinds of ways. We sit there and hear a particular passage of Scripture that teaches a particular doctrine, you know, something thorny like, you know, God created the entire universe in six days, speaking it into existence. And you sit there and go, come on, really? And what you're doing is you're exalting yourself above God. And you're saying, you know better than God about how he created the universe. I don't really believe that this, that, or the other thing is a sin. Well, you're exalting yourself against God, against what he's revealed in his word. Remember, Mary is blessed because she is the one who believed the word of the Lord that was spoken to her. And so God's spoken word comes to us every Sunday and during Advent on Wednesday evenings, comes to us in various forms, and it calls for us to believe, like Mary believed. Believe the word of the Lord that was sent to you. Well, we're going to look at our cross-reference to the Magnificat before we look at the text itself, and it's in all, all places, Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Now, those of you who've been paying attention in Sunday school will note, well, this sounds a lot like where we're at in our study of Exodus. I love these coincidences. Aren't they brilliant? We're going to take a look at Exodus chapter 14, and we'll fast forward just a smidge to verse 10. And we're going to note that the Passover has already taken place. The death of the firstborn has happened. Those who had the blood of their Passover lamb on their lintels and on their doorposts, God, as he came through and saw the blood, would pass over, and they were saved. They were not destroyed. And there was not a house in Egypt that didn't have somebody dead all the way up to the palace itself. And Pharaoh finally said, get out. But remember what Pharaoh is. Pharaoh is, well, he's a stand-in for Satan. He's one who is exalting himself over God. And so he comes to his senses, gathers up his army, grabs the charioteers, and says, what were we thinking? Let's go get them, boys. What a dumb thing to do. Only slightly more dumb than starting a land war in Asia. So we read Exodus 14, verse 10. Pharaoh drew near. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh, and they said to Moses, This is a wonderful line. One of my favorite lines in all of Scripture. Is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? 
Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. This sounds a lot like those complaints that I would get from my kids when we would be on long car journeys. Are we there yet kind of stuff? And then need the complaining and the fighting and the stop touching me's and the you just want to pull your hair out. What kind of line is this? Leave us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians. Didn't we tell you this? No, actually, you did not. Okay, and here we are. We're already out of Egypt. And now you're saying this. So Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Now, That sounds fantastic, but that's not exactly what the Lord had in mind. So the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now, to kind of understand how difficult that's going to be, they have just come up against the Red Sea. It's in front of them. And Jesus at this point has not done his whole walking on water thing. And so they're not sure what's going on here because behind them, is the Egyptian army. God has them bottlenecked in a wadi with the pillar of fire and smoke. There they are on the beach. And they've got the whole Red Sea in front of him. And God is saying, why are you crying out to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Makes perfect sense. So lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his hosts, his chariots and horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. So keep in mind, Pharaoh's really fighting with God. That's the thing. He's trying to exalt himself over the Lord. And that never works out very well. So the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved, went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea And the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters behind being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went in after them in the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces, threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on the right and on the left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. 
Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in Yahweh and in His servant Moses. And then Moses and all the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. Yahweh is His name. And so you can see in this song the theme now of the Lord triumphing over those who opposed Him. Those who opposed and exalted themselves over His people. And who is it that has opposed and exalted himself over God that causes us to be in the misery that we're in today? Is it not the devil himself? His forces? And unfortunately, each and every one of us has sided with the devil in many and various ways, exalting ourselves over God, not doing his will, not loving God as we ought, not loving our neighbor as ourselves as we ought. We behave a lot like the devil. So what do we do? It's clear that the Lord humbles those who exalt themselves. To humble yourself. The Lord is in the right. I'm in the wrong. And so are you. The song continues. Pharaoh's chariots and his host is cast into the sea. His chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries and you send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. I, 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 my, my, my. All of our problems, isn't it? But you blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength, to your holy abode. And see, you see the theme then. Those who are oppressed are now the ones who are victorious. It's the great flip. It's the great turning of the tables where those who have everything come to have nothing and those who have nothing end up having everything. Which calls us to empty our hands of everything so that we have nothing. Because in having nothing, We have everything given to us by Christ. 
You have led in your steadfast love the peoples whom you have redeemed. Purchased out of slavery, you have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they trembled. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You sit there and you go, but wait a second. Christ has redeemed and purchase me, a poor, sinful being. Indeed, he has. This is actually your story. This is your song. You will bring them in, plant them on your own mountain, and the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. This doesn't sound like earthly Jerusalem, does it? As it isn't. The Lord will reign forever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, Yahweh brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. And then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Shiru, Shiru to, Shiru la Yahweh. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider is thrown into the sea. And this has everything to do with our text tonight. Because Mary after Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit from the overflow of her unborn sons, filling of the Holy Spirit by Christ. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord. She doesn't magnify herself. Mary does not exalt herself. She's humble. And rather than exalt herself over the Lord, the one who believed the words spoken to her by the angel Gabriel, words given to him by God himself, she doesn't exalt herself. She magnifies and exalts the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary, like you and I, needed a Savior. So much for the Immaculate Conception. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, slave. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And need I remind you, He who is mighty has done great things for you, too. One of the mighty things he has done is that he was born of this humble servant girl who was still a virgin. He came into the world 
and suffered under Pontius Pilate and died for you on the cross. He has done mighty things for you. Holy is His name. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. And see, the one who exalts himself does not fear God. Not at all. The one who exalts himself over God doesn't believe that he exists or suppresses that fact and isn't fearful of him at all and kind of thinks in his own heart, well, if Yahweh is so powerful, if God is so, well, mighty and going to punish evildoers, then why hasn't he done a thing to stop me from doing the things I like to do? Right? Give it some time. He's not sleeping. But see, he's merciful to those who fear him from generation to generation. And it's not his will that even you should perish. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. And he has exalted those of humble estate. Have you ever looked at those magazines at the grocery store? Oh, it's a train wreck. It's just glorious. You open up the magazine and you find out which movie star or celebrity's life has come to a train crash. The paparazzi has caught Kanye sleeping with this woman or that woman who's really well known. Well, it turns out that she has a drug addiction and we love to watch these things. But then you sit there and you realize that all of these people whom we worship as a society, and that's what we do, we worship them. We worship them and we laud them with all kinds of glory, with fame and wealth and mansions and photo shoots and movie star roles. Oh, man, and they get to drive the best cars, stay at the best resorts. And then the tabloids teach us that they're just as screwed up as the rest of us. Kind of fascinating how that all works. And you know the reason for that is? Because they are. Because they are. I always find it fascinating when a movie star kind of disappears. And you don't hear from them 15, 20 years. And then all of a sudden, you're just looking at the news, and it says, such and such a person died. Hmm. And then they remember them. And what do they remember them for? They remember them for their make-believe roles. They remember them for the things that they did while they were pretending to be somebody else. And they did a great job of pretending to be somebody else. Because that's what acting is, isn't it? And we all say, oh, our lives will never be the same. It'll never be the same now that this person is gone. Two days later, it's the same. And see, that's the thing. We've exalted these people, and many of them have exalted themselves. In their ambition, they have sought this fame. They have sought this fortune. And they have achieved it. To what end? They end up in the same place we all do. In a box in the ground. It's a little colder in the boxes here than they are in Southern California, but it's still the same. 
And see, that's it. This is the big theme of Scripture. But see, Christ, they stuck him in a tomb, and he walked out of it three days later. And the theme there, if you follow it in Philippians chapter 2, Christ, who was by nature God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And being found in the form of a servant, he humbled himself, became obedient, obedient to death, even death upon a cross, the lowest of the low. See, Christ was the highest of the high, And he, on purpose, became the lowest of the low to serve you, to serve me. The most despised man among us, the one we were all saying, crucify him, he doesn't deserve to live. He's the one who humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. And therefore, God has exalted him. And he has the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The, the Bible is rich in this theme. And the reason it's rich in this theme is because the devil is the one who said, I will ascend to the highest heights and I will be like the Most High. Pa! The text continues and says, but you will be thrown into the greatest depths of Sheol. So his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, from their photo shoots, from their stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And he has exalted instead those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry, the hungry with good things. And the rich, he sent them away, empty-handed. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And so begins the great reversal. The powerful, the rich, the wealthy, the mighty, those who exalt themselves will be brought to nothing. But those who realize the truth that all of that fame, power, and wealth is a mirage. It's an illusion. It's an exalting of yourself over God. It's sin. It's evil. It's self-centered. And says, Lord, have mercy on me. I have nothing. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the wealthy, the poor. God fills them with good things, remembers his mercy that he spoke to our fathers and to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And you, brothers and sisters, are Abraham's offspring. You have been made the offspring of Abraham in the waters of your baptism. You grow as the offspring of Abraham strong and stock through the preaching of His Word, through the preaching of the Gospel, the proclamation of Christ and the magnifying of His name. And through His law given to the descendants of Abraham, 
We see that we are empty-handed and brought low in need of a Savior, and through Christ we have all of our needs met. And rather than have our heads torn down in shame, He is the lifter of our heads because of Christ. What a great and amazing God we have. And we thank God for His mercy And we pray that he would ever continue to keep us humble so that we may ever be believing the words spoken to us through the apostles and through the prophets, telling us the great deeds that he has done so that we, like Mary, may magnify the Lord rather than ourselves. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, we're going to take a quick break when we come back. Sermon number two. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Sermon number two titled, God has visited his people based on the Gospel of Luke chapter one, verses 57 through 80. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of Rick Warren, you cannot be saved. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. Welcome to Build a God. How can I help you? Hi, I got this Build a God certificate from a fellow co-worker, and I came to check it out. Oh, that's nice of your friend. You must be excited. Well, uh, what exactly are we doing here? Oh, you silly man. We're building your very own deity. I don't feel comfortable doing this. Seems sort of like blasphemy. Oh, don't be silly. Everyone does this. Let me help you. First off, you decide whether your god is male, female, or unisex. Well, the Bible talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it also says that Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day, so he has to be male. You? Okay. Next, we have to define the attributes of your god, like whether he's loving, kind, or compassionate. Well, in the Bible, God is just, he's merciful, he's righteous, and he's wrathful, all at the same time. Okay, then. Well, what is your God's take on sin? He fully condemns it. It's pretty obvious what God thinks of sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Humanity's only hope is in the blood Jesus shed on the cross. Are you saying your God doesn't accept gays? Don't think so. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with hellfire and brimstone because of it. I don't think he has a very high opinion of it. Could you excuse me for one moment? Sure. Hello? Can you get me the mall security? Thank you. Sir, I would be a religious terrorist here. 
Yes, he's a closed-minded Bible believer. Yes, I'll distract him while I wait for your men to arrive. Thank you. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, Our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. And exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. And what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. To err is to heretic. To R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith, good conscience to think that Christmas is all about the good news of a Savior being born, you know, for you. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions, in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. You can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute an amount that you choose. That's right. You get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99. 
$9.95 a month. Great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And uh, let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. By the way, we also are now up on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can find us there as well if you'd like to support us that way. All right. Next message uh, for, for today that we will be listening to uh, from my sermon series that I preached last year at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. Uh, the name of the uh, the message is titled, uh, God Has Visited His People. It is based upon uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, 57 through 80. God has visited his people. So here it is. Let's get to it. Here we go. Our scripture is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She bore a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, but his aunt, mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he spoke, blessing God, and fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit, and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. In the name of Jesus, I wonder as I wander out under the sky how Jesus the Savior did come for to die for poor, wonderful word next, ornery people. 
like you and like I. So our text tonight, this final midweek service of Advent, as we anticipate the arrival, the birth of our King, is a lot about wondering. Wondering, what is going on? So we return to our gospel text. And where we last saw Zechariah, Zechariah was, well, in the temple. The angel Gabriel appeared to him to let him know that his prayers, prayers that he had prayed decades earlier, had been heard by God and that his wife Elizabeth would bear a son. Zechariah, not exactly filled with faith, although terrified at the presence of this angel, doubted. How will I know this be? I'm old. My wife's old. She's been through menopause. We did the hot flash thing already. And Gabriel, incensed, says, fine. It's going to happen because God never lies. Your lack of faith doesn't nullify God's word. But I'm going to shut your mouth. Make it so you can't talk. And he went on now for the better part of a year, nine months, without being able to say a word. There's some wonderfully funny things in this text as well. Here's what it says. The time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She bore a son. (laughs) Old lady giving birth. Her neighbors and her relatives heard Watch the watch what it says, that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And that's what that was, mercy. Children are a blessing from God, and it was a curse for her to go decade after decade after decade, not able to have a child. And now God has shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. Now, you got to pay attention to biblical numbers, rightly so. There's a lot of people who do some quacky things with them. But if you think of it this way, how many days did it take for God to create the heavens and the earth? Six. So the person who says to you, God created the heavens and the earth in seven days is lying. He did it in six. He rested on the seventh. And so in biblical numerology, which is a terrible way of putting it if I think about that, in the biblical numbers, seven is a complete number. But children are circumcised on the eighth day. Jesus is raised from the grave on the eighth day. Eighth day is the first day of the new creation. And so circumcision, which is a type and shadow of baptism, Promises are made. And physically, there's a cutting off of the flesh. And when we are baptized, there's a cutting off of the flesh inside of our hearts by the hands of Christ. And so on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. They would have called him Zechariah after his father. And I want to know who the they is there. Now, these are some very ornery people. These are some pretty pushy relatives. I mean, in my family, my mother, my brother, my sister-in-law, none of my cousins, none of them had any authority to name any of my children. So I want to know who this they is. They would have named him Zechariah. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And you can just see them saying, 
listen, woman, you don't know what you're talking about. Let's talk to the man. But we can't. And watch what it says. <laughs> so they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. So they made signs to his father. He can hear just fine. Okay, he's having a problem talking. So <laughs> you can almost see them going, Zechariah, what shall we name the... <laughs> so wrong on so many levels, right? <laughs> so they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. And he wrote, his name is John, vindicating his wife. And they all wondered. And there's the word, wondered, wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke not cursing God, blessing him. Fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. Now, this makes perfect sense. Okay, the hill country of Judea is not a big town. It's a small town. It's rural. We know how news travels so fast out of the rural areas, does it not? Right? So the news spread. Elizabeth gave birth. We wanted to name him Zechariah. But she wanted to name him John. And then, we don't know what happened, what it came over Zechariah, but he sided with her. And you could just see the scuttlebutt just whoosh, 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 right, throughout the neighborhood, right? But they're all wondering, what does this all mean? And all these things were talked about through all the hill country GD. All who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? Clearly God's hand is on him. For the hand of the Lord was with him. They could all see it. And then as Zechariah, his father, filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied. This is another one of the wonderful section of Scripture. One of the few times where we get songs spoken prophetically in a historical narrative. Blessed be the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim, the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and he has redeemed his people. And this phrase takes you back to the Exodus. Visited his people. Pay attention to God's visitations. His visitations always go really well for his people. His visitations also go very poorly for his enemies. Exodus chapter 4, verse 27. Just by way of reminder, cross-reference. Yahweh said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. See, Moses has been commissioned. He's on his way back to Egypt. So he went and met him at the mountain of God, kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. You see, remember the burning bush. It just happened a chapter earlier. God commissioning Moses. And Moses saying, please pick somebody else. Please. Please. And that's not how it goes. So, now fully commissioned, ordained, set apart by God, he and Aaron, they go, and the first people they talk to are the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, did the signs in the sight of the people. 
And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshipped. And so Zechariah here, his song harkens back to this time in Israel. Blessed be Yahweh Elohim of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's visited us. He's seen our affliction. He has seen us laboring under the curse. Next phrase. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A little bit of a tricky phrase. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us. How beneficial are horns of salvation? What exactly is this talking about? Well, I think you could compare this, if you would, to the negative example. When you read, like in Daniel chapter 7, or in the book of Revelation, the dragon with the horns. The horns are mighty ones. They're like kings. And the ultimate evil one is this horn that raises up and dis, literally dis, takes apart three other horns. Read Daniel 7. You'll see it there. And so a horn is a king. A horn is it's a, it's a metaphorical statement of one who is mighty. And this would make perfect sense in a culture where there are rams and sheep and things like that. The mighty, mighty goats and rams, they have horns. So that's the picture. He has raised up for us a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, we as Christians, we understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's always for flesh and blood. Our battle is, well, against the demons, the devil himself and his horde. He's an enemy we do not see with our own eyes. But oftentimes, we see his hand upon those who are our neighbors, our relatives, or friends, or government officials. They are doing the work of their father, the devil, and have made themselves our enemies and made it their goal in life to oppress us, to hate us, to make our lives miserable. And so the idea then here is that they are doing the work of our ultimate enemy, the one who we pray in the Lord's Prayer to deliver us from, the evil one. They the evil one, the devil, is truly our enemy. And so God has raised up a horn of salvation to set us free. And the holy prophets of old spoke that we would be saved from our enemies, namely the devil, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Now, isn't this interesting? Zechariah prophesying under the unction of the Holy Spirit notes that the covenant that God has made is not the covenant of Mount Sinai. It is not the covenant of the thou shalt not. It's the covenant of the promised seed of Abraham, in whom all the world will be blessed. Show mercy. Show mercy. And that's what we need. So that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, 
might serve God without fear. What kind of fear is being talked about here? Serve God without fear? Is that saying, oh, well, I live in the United States. We have freedom of religion. So I can serve the God of my choice without fear. Nope. That's not what's being talked about here. To serve God without fear is to serve God knowing that you are forgiven. Knowing that God himself has been merciful. And you'll notice the salvation language. Salvation, mercy, and promise and grace. To be able to serve God without fear is to be able to say, God's wrath has been put away and does not burn hot against me. Not because I have earned my salvation. Not because I have meritoriously worked and earned the wage from God so that he says, you know what, you're pretty good after all. No, it's when we hear that God says, I love you and I forgive you. Only then can we serve him without fear. And the person who does not understand salvation by grace through faith because of God's mercy and that he has visited us to set us free, to redeem us, believes that somehow they have got to placate the wrath of God by doing good things. And that person, well, they're under a curse because they're constantly serving God in fear. In the fear that if I don't do these things, then I will perish eternally. If I don't do these things and continue to do them, then God is going to cast me into the lake of fire. This is no way to do your good works. And you cannot serve God without fear in that scheme. Only through God's mercy, only through his grace, only because he has visited us, has raised up a horn of salvation for us, has redeemed us as he promised and shown us mercy, can we now serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. All of our days. Well, how many days do we have? It's a trick question if you think about it. How many days do we have as Christians? Well, I've been around for 40 years. And if the Lord tarries, I might make it until I'm 80, whatever, right? You never know. Maybe 90 if I give up carbs. How many days do I have? You're counting them wrong. Counting them wrong. You have days without end. You have been forgiven. You already possess eternal life. What is eternal life like? It's like today. Tomorrow it'll change, where there will be no more evil. 
But we will serve God without fear and holiness because we have been made holy. In righteousness because we've been clothed with righteousness of God. Before Him, we will see Him face to face all of our days. How many are there? There are days without end. From the ages into the ages. The apostles write. Sounds like a long time. Indeed it is. You have no less days now than when you begun. And so you, child, John the Baptist, you'll be called the prophet of the Most High, and indeed he was, the last of them. You will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, and indeed he did, and his message was repent. And John the Baptist gave knowledge of salvation to God's people in the forgiveness of their sins. To be forgiven is to be saved. Or as David writes in Psalm 32, blessed is he whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed is the one to whom the Lord does not impute wickedness. You are saved if you are forgiven. To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. And if it were not written for us there, we would hardly believe it was true. Because we have the law written on our hearts. And the law, every time we screw up, says, you've screwed up. You've messed up. And our thinking about God as a result of his law screaming in our faces that we have failed once again is that God is somehow up there, arms folded, flames in the eyes, getting brighter and redder. And oh boy, we're in trouble. He's starting to really get mad now. He's going to come unglued. And once he does, oh, we're toast. No, this says... To give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. It's not just mercy. It's tender mercy. And it's tender mercy to you. Your God loves you. He is tender and merciful to you. Whereby the sun shall, sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The picture is us completely suffering and languishing in the dark. And then all of a sudden, the sunrise appears. And now we can see where we are. And we can walk out now of the shadow of death and find the right path into the way of peace. We will hear from the angels very shortly the announcement of the birth of our Savior. Peace. Peace. Seems like this whole life of ours is one battle after another. Battle against our own sin, battle against our neighbors, battle against our husband, battle against our wife, battle against, right? Peace seems to be the thing 
that none of us has. Read the news. I wouldn't call 2016 the year of political peace. Still isn't. But God is guiding us through the valley of the shadow of death into the way of true peace. And that peace begins with God and then flows from God to us, to our neighbors. What a wonderful prophecy. What a tantalizing glimpse into the present and in the future and to show us the true nature and heart of God as tender, forgiving, merciful, visiting His people, rescuing, redeeming, saving. All of the words are so hope-filled. And this is no pipe dream because this is truly how God is. So I wonder as I wander out under the sky, you can hear the snow squishing underneath my feet. How is it that Jesus, the Savior, did come for to die for poor, ornery people like me and like you? I wonder. And John the Baptist grew, became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness into the day of his public appearance to Israel. Wonder indeed, the talk of the town. Something's afoot. The hand of God is visibly present. What does it all mean? It means salvation. It means peace. It means the end of the curse. Days without end. Oh, dare we have such hope. Dare we. Yes, we dare to hope. Because not only did Jesus come and was born of the Virgin Mary, he went to the cross, died, and rose again for our salvation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. All right, final break here. When we come back, we're going to be listening to a sermon titled For Unto You a Child is Born, Christmas Message, to wrap up this year's 2017 broadcast year for Fighting for the Faith. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you could subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at Quick break when we come back. Wrap up the year with a good Christmas sermon. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We will be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Hi, Rich Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio.
Oi, Captain, we got ourselves a heretic. <laughs> and exactly how do ye know that she be a heretic? She be endorsing the health and wealth heresy. Does he be speaking the truth? Jesus died to make us rich. <laughs> and what exactly do we do with heretics? Oh, uh, we throw them in the boo box. No, no, no. We preach the gospel to them. What if, um, the heretic doesn't repent? Then we throw them in the boo box. is to heretic, to R is to pirate. Get yourself over to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash Refermanda and purchase yourself a copy of the game Refermanda and join the fight for the faith today. We're back, wrapping up the uh, year here at Fighting for the Faith. Man, I'm excited and nervous about next year, though. I'm just saying. It's either going to be a spectacular hit or painful to watch belly flop. Not sure which yet. All right. Final segment for the year 2017 here at Fighting for the Faith is a sermon I delivered last Christmas on Christmas Day titled, For Unto You a Child is Born. Gospel of Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. And uh, let, let me just say this before we get into the sermon. Thank you so much for listening to Fighting for the Faith. It is every year, it, 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 every day, it literally is an honor to be able to uh, come to this microphone and to be able to serve you the way that we serve you all day in and day out here, teaching you, equipping you, helping you see the dangers out there to protect yourself and your family members, helping people get into good churches that have faithful pastors who may not be uh, you know, flashy or showy or relevant and don't have a sacramental disco ball, but they faithfully open up God's Word and proclaim Christ to the people they serve Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And that's that's our real hope for everybody who listens to Fighting for the Faith, that they will abandon the showy and the, the guy who's not actually feeding them, the hireling who's uh, a waterless rain cloud or a drifting star that you can't navigate by, so that they can find a pastor who's got a church that is probably a humble place to go to. Uh, but nonetheless, it, 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 the true treasure of Jesus is found in those churches. And so that's really why we do what we do here. So thank you for letting me serve you in this way. Here's, here's, uh, again, final sermon for and final segment for the year 2017. Next year, new things are coming from Pirate Christian Media. So uh, keep us in your prayers, and uh, and thank you for your support. Here we are. Let's get into it. The name of the message, again, is For Unto You a Child is Born. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was the governor of Syria. 
all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. In the name of Jesus. Sample our books, our movies, our tales, legends, and they're all brimming with the themes of darkness and light, tyranny and freedom. And we all know that fighting for freedom is the cause that is not only worthy of our efforts, but even worthy of risking death itself. One of the early slogans of our American Republic, and now the motto of the state of New Hampshire, is live free or die. Live free or die. You see, tyranny is the thing that we fear the most, at least politically. And true patriots in the American Republic understand that this is where the real dividing line is. Will we live in freedom, freedom of conscience, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, or will we be shackled and forced to be silent in the face of evil, forced to act contrary to our conscience, and forced to renounce Christ and not speak the truth to our neighbors. It is this deep foundational struggle between good and evil, light and darkness, tyranny and freedom, that we all know so well that is actually at the very heart of Christmas itself. John, in his gospel, in chapter 3, verse 19, writes, This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Let us make no mistake here, brothers and sisters, that we are the congregation of the forgiven ungodly. Let us never forget that we were born in captivity and slavery under the tyranny of the devil. And that even as we walk out our Christian faith, our sinful flesh still wants to do the bidding of the devil, wants to seek our own glory, does not obey God as it should, engages in false worship and idolatry, covets neighbor, despises father 
and mother, steals from one another, bears false witness against the other. So bad is our condition by nature. I would remind you of how the Apostle Paul describes himself when he was giving testimony of his conversion to Christianity because Jesus himself appeared to him. In Acts chapter 26, starting at verse 9, Paul, giving the account of his conversion, says this, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus Christ. Which kind of begs the question, how does one get so upside down? that they feel that they need to oppose the name of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you, brothers and sisters, that in our sinful condition, we think that good is evil. And we think that evil is good. And this is the Apostle Paul. In the name of God. Listen to how he describes his actions. And so I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury, raging fury, that doesn't sound like one of the gifts of the Spirit to me. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. And he did all of this in the name of the very God that Jesus is. But then he says this, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. With the authority and the commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. It's interesting. The first thing that Paul, well, Saul sees is the light. And this is not an accident. So when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Shaul, Shaul. That's how his name is pronounced in Hebrew. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Jesus sends Shaul. And his name is changed to Paul, commissioned by Christ so that people would turn from darkness to light and be released from the power of Satan himself. The Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 13, picks up on this very theme that he heard from Jesus, where he says that God has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of of our sins. Let us never forget, brothers and sisters, that the world that we live in is ruled terribly by one who is a usurper, the ultimate tyrant, the devil himself. And we were all born under his dominion. Imagine him as Hitler, squared, cubed. 
I don't know math, but it sounds really bad when you start talking in terms like this. That's the being that we were all, well, enslaved under. And so the Christmas message comes to us almost as a message of rebellion. But let me remind you, brothers and sisters, we understand rebellion here in the United States. This is a country founded on rebellion against tyranny. But in the cosmic battle between good and evil, light and darkness, tyranny and slavery, Christ is no rebel. I recently saw the new Star Wars movie. Must say I enjoyed it immensely. And I find it fascinating. Yet This theme of the evil empire taking control of the entire universe and those who are fighting against this oppressive, tyrannical system. They are the ones called the rebels. But we are not rebels, brothers and sisters. The devil is the rebel. And so the message that comes to us at Christmas is a message of hope. And it is not a message of rebellion. It is a message of liberation. Think of it this way. You and I are born in Nazi-occupied Europe. And we are hearing over the radio, the king is born. The one who will set us free and liberate us. And make it so that we can live in peace again. And so our Old Testament text today has these words. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoil. And here's the reason why. For the yoke of his burden, the staff on his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. In other words, the yoke of slavery that was placed on every one of us at our birth, placed there by the devil, Christ hasn't removed it. He's broken it in two so that it can never be put on you again. Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And here's the reason why greatest words of defiance ever written. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. Given by whom? By God himself, who sees us languishing under the misery of this tyranny, sees us languishing under the slavery of sin, sees us toiling in darkness. He has shed light on us, the light of his son, and given us the very thing that we need. To us is born a child, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Hmm. Can't wait for that government to show up. Peace. What a word. What a concept. I don't know if you've noticed. There seems to be a supreme lack of peace in our world. 2016 was not the year of peace in this country. 
And the lack of peace continues on. We don't have peace in our personal lives, our political lives. Don't even get me started about social media. But to us, a child is born. A son is given of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You see, the Christmas message is the ultimate message of defiance. You can kind of say it this way. I will not submit to the yoke of the devil. I have been set free because unto me a child has been born. A son has been given. He has broken the yoke of the devil and I will not bend my knee again under that tyranny. And that's the message. Our gospel text says in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Taxed is a better way of putting it. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all that went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and the lineage of David. And so the story picks up. We talked about this recently. How the house of David, the royal house, the throne on which Christ will sit forever, has come down to nothing. Except for the family name. He's in Nazareth. He travels to the city of David, and it's appropriate that the Messiah would be born in the city of David. So he was there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. (sighs) Amazing story. The king of kings. Born to obscure, poverty-stricken parents, wrapped in swaddling cloths, you can almost say that hints at Jesus' grave clothes, because they do. And laid in a manger, a feeding trough of animals. It's beautiful. And so, the message of defiance against the tyranny of the devil comes to us in the humble birth of our Savior and our King. You see, the devil is the one who exalts himself. I will ascend to the highest heights. Everyone will bow down and call me God. Jesus says, I am God, and I'm going to make myself nothing. And I'm going to come, and I'm going to serve. What an amazing story. My ultimate favorite Christmas hymn is What Child Is This? In the Lutheran service book, verse 2 reads this way. Why lies he in such mean estate where ox and ass are feeding? Good Christian fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Nails, spear shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. 
You see, the manger and this lowly estate, this humbling of himself, the great God who is by nature God himself has come not to punish us as we deserve, but to liberate us. And in order to do that, he must go from the manger to the cross. And so when we celebrate the birth of our Savior, we must see the wood of the manger as becoming the very planks on which Jesus is nailed to in order to secure our salvation. This is the message of defiance. And this is the very action of God that frees us, that redeems us, that sets us free so that we can be the people of God and no longer the children of the devil. It's so great and so magnificent that we in darkness don't even realize that the light has been born. I like to imagine that the angels are up in heaven going, do they not understand what is going on here? Now, this next part of the sermon, not found in the Bible. Let me explain it. I like to picture Gabriel and Michael. Those are about the only two angels I know names for given in Scripture. Then sitting there going, He's just been born. And then looking at the father going, we've got to let somebody know. Please let us go and announce what is going on. And the father saying, I'm glad you feel that way. I feel the same way too. But don't go to the king. David was a shepherd. Go find his people, the lowest of the low, and let them know. So in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Notice the light again, shining in the darkness. And they were filled with great fear. Oh, so tragic. How is this possible? This shows just how wicked we are. The glory of God is shining. And our first reaction is, ah! So the angel said, important words, fear not. I get it. You're sinful. You're wicked. Fear not. And here's why. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And here it is again. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that's what we need. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. That word again. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now lest you think for a second that this good news is not for you. What Christ has done for you on the cross is delivered to you in the waters of baptism, is delivered to you here at this altar 
when you partake of the very body and blood of Christ broken and shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. You heard today the words of the absolution. I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus has accomplished has been stuck in your ears, put in your mouth, washed over your body. You have been made pleasing to God by His great acts of mercy and grace to you. So this is good news for us. Peace begins with peace with God. And now that we have that peace, that peace then begins to flow out in our relationships with each other. So when the angels went away, they left them and went into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. You see, the reason why we know what the angels said to the shepherds is because they told Mary, and Mary told Luke, and Luke told you. So they, all who heard wondered at what the shepherds told them, And Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And you would be wise to do that too. Take these words. Treasure them in your heart. Return to them often. Ponder them. You have been set free. Unto you a Savior has been born. So the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And with this in mind, this good news that unto us a child has been born, a son has been given, the government will be on his shoulder, and of peace there will be no end. Let us then see how this impacts our life in the words of our epistle reading from Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared. A little baby. With ten little fingers and ten little toes sleeps and does and when they wakes up goes and yawns and poops and needs to be have his diapers changed isn't it wonderful the grace of god has appeared and he has brought salvation for all people and this trains us this grace of god trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And the reason for it is simple. Ungodliness and worldly passions is tyranny. It's slavery. It's not freedom. These are the things for which we are ashamed and rightfully so. And so this grace of God, this forgiveness and mercy trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and say, I will no longer be your slave, devil. The Lord rebuke you. And if you haven't read the book, I've read the end of it. He's going to take your dragon scales and throw you along with them into the lake of fire. And we're never going to have to deal with you again. And we're going to party forever. There will be nothing but peace. It's defiance. Stand with me this Christmas in defiance of the devil. 
Because unto us has been born a child, a Savior, a Redeemer who is Christ the Lord. And this is great news. Live in freedom now in this age. In the face of the breath of the dragon. And know this, that this same baby who was born, grew, died, was crucified, buried, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven, and he's coming back. And he himself is going to do away with that old dragon. So renounce ungodliness, worldly passions. Instead, live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. That same glory that the the shepherds saw on the plains of Bethlehem, we're going to see it too. We won't have to ever wonder again what it looks like. It will always be there for us to see. Because Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So this Christmas, I announce to you that unto you a child is born, a son is given, and the whole government in the world is on his shoulders. Look to the skies. Stand in defiance of the devil in this present wicked age, for his glory is soon to appear. And when he appears, it will be joy and peace everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. What'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at fire Christian. Till next year, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>